Number six of the 48 ways is biyiro. Biyiro means fear. If you want to live, you've got to learn to use yiro. If you want to live, you've got to be afraid. Uh, does that sound uh, enticing? So what is it first before we try to induce you to do it? So let's define it. That fear, everybody knows when you're afraid, you're alert. Yeah? 100% alertness. Alarm causes an alertness, a gathering of your wits or powers, Full attention. Yeah. So it's caused by these perceptions. We see something can be lost or gained. And we get this alertness and marshalling of our faculties, and which is a painful thing. Now, what is it that you've got to accomplish? You have to walk through this world, to give you the, the syndrome, walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls or a parapet of the Empire State Building gives you consequences, disaster. The other feeling is that... They used to have a program on TV. They'd let you into a supermarket, and you have half an hour, whatever you got, is yours. And you see the guy running around, trying to, he doesn't want to take soap suds. <laughs> He's looking for what's, what's valuable, yeah? Doesn't want to miss an opportunity. The other hand, there's a spiritual reward and punishment. What is that? There's a satellite following your progress through the 48 ways, and the assignments you do is loudly cheered through the world. Yeah? You realize your notebook is out, <laughs> you're ready to go to work, yeah? On the other hand, people are jeering you, yeah, he doesn't know how, the whole world says he doesn't, he doesn't attend class, he doesn't listen, he doesn't know what he's talking about, this dumbbell, yeah? Jeering him. Can we imagine that we would pay for this experience? We'll discuss it. Let's see, how do we go about using And do people actually take pleasure in it? So, number one is, realize this, that this is really what free will is about. This is the essence of free will. Do you want to be afraid? Or you don't want to be afraid? And the concept is that Yira, in Hebrew, is the same letters as to see. Do you want to perceive reality? And the consequences? Well, you don't want to. The Almighty leaves it up to us. To be or not to be. To see or not to see. So, in our instructions to live, if you want to see the consequences, you want to see what life is about, you will succeed. The Almighty will see to it. And if you don't want to, you're not going to. Most important to realize that. So, step number two is that appreciate, if you want to use this as a tool for living, you've got to want to use it. Do you want to be afraid? You've got to ask that question. Do you want to be afraid? Do you want to walk through life on a tightrope? want to walk through life being cheered or jeered? you want to be afraid or not? Check it out. The third step is, let me give you four reasons that most of us will find that they don't want to. Can anybody give me the first? First reason you don't want to be afraid. What do you say? It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, right? It's painful. Fear is painful. Don't like it. Okay, that's one. Any other? Could be afraid of the outcome. Right, so what does that mean? What is the outcome? We also see, feel that fear restricts us. We can't be ourselves. We can't, we can't use our potential. The third is that fear makes us work for someone else, not for ourselves. It's a lack of freedom. I can't be myself. It's like a bludgeon. 
And the fourth reason is that, I don't know how many of you appreciate it, but fear is perceived as being demeaning. Shouldn't be afraid. It makes us less. He who is, is pushed by fear rather than by what is right is, is not a good man. Somebody is willing to, to help you and is anxious to help you and, and goes out of his way, yeah, you're impressed. He's a good man. And they say, why are you doing this for me? He says, well, I want to get to heaven. Hmm. Something wrong. Yeah. And each one of us has to identify it himself. But I would say that these are the four reasons that people don't want to be afraid. And if you don't want to be afraid, you're not going to be afraid of reality. You'll be afraid if something comes up. If your plane is ready to crash, <laughs> you'll be afraid. But not of the real world you're living in. Okay, so number four, we have to go on to see that it is false. We'll do it in turn. The first thing about it is that fear is painful. Fear is painful, and therefore we don't want to be afraid. Now, now this is the most damaging of the reasons we don't want to be afraid, and the most frequent. And it's especially a problem in our generation, because we're in a generation that has been called decadent. You've heard that term? We're decadent? We don't really know what decadence is. Let me give you the definition of decadence and at the same time convince you that we're really decadent. The way we do that is that we ask, uh, what's your name? Jeffrey. Jeffrey? Jeffrey, what would you say is the opposite of pain? Pleasure. Right? That the opposite of pain is pleasure. So therefore, you avoid pain at all costs because we are pleasure seekers, right? And if the opposite of pain is pleasure, then pain has... Definitely not going to give you pleasure, right? Now, get rid of this. This is a myth. The opposite of pain is, in reality, a lack of pain is comfort. The opposite of pain is to be comfortable. To think that the ultimate pleasure is to be comfortable, that is decadence. To think that the ultimate pleasure in life is to be comfortable, no pain. To identify that pleasure means comfort is to be decadent. You can't take pain even for your pleasures. You can't fight for your freedom. You can't struggle to understand because it's painful. And painful is what I'm avoiding because that's the opposite of pleasure. Decadence means you can't fight anymore. You know, like Rome or Jean. <laughs> Just comfort. That's it. So, see if this is, realize, I don't know if you ever read A Brave New World. Huh? The ultimate decadence is to withdraw in the womb and have pipes leading to your, you know, you don't have to eat, and have sensations fed to you, and you're back in the womb. Huh? Comfortable, snug as a bug in a rug. Yeah. You get the picture? That's where decadence will lead you. Yeah. Today we have can't perform, and we're not that. We still have to go to work to get some money. Yeah, but then you go and connect yourself to the TV tube, and you don't have to think and you know, sensations. And, you know, we're on the way. Some people turn off the TV and they want to live a little bit. Yeah, get their own exercise rather than watch a guy jump over. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. But 
realize that that is the definition of decadence. And the idea of this, to free yourself from decadence, is realize that pain is the price we pay for pleasure. If you want to be a champion, you will have to take a lot of pain for the pleasure of being a champion. Is that right? Nobody's going to make it. If you want to jog, you want the pleasure of being fit, you have to take the pain of overcoming the body's <laughs> desire to stay in bed. You have to pay in pain for pleasure. You know what the greatest pleasure in life that most people are aware of? What do you say? What, what is the greatest pleasure of your parents? Not you? Most people who have children, the greatest pleasure in life is our children. And you know what the greatest pain in life is? Never mind to see them fail, to see them going bumping off walls and turning on you, and yeah, you don't know. But, uh, greatest pain. So if you think that the opposite of pain is pleasure, <laughs> you're not going to have children. You know, wake up in the middle of the night, and responsibilities, and you postpone it. You know, figure I don't want to miss up on it, but maybe when I'm 35, that's when you're going to be able to take the pain. You know. It's a little too early, I still want, my, you know, my comforts. You have to pay in pain for pleasure. Okay, number five is, is fear, it's painful. Is it a pleasurable pain, or is it non-pleasurable? Do people ever pay just to be afraid? Did you ever pay to be afraid? Um, well, maybe go to scary movies. My days, Frankenstein? Ha <laughs> ha! Lines, lines, yeah? Yeah, they're still selling horror pictures and people want to be afraid, right? But my days, there were lines. Yeah, that was a real scary movie. Yeah. There's still other things. What do people pay to be afraid of? Roller coaster. Roller coaster. Huh? Did you ever go on a roller coaster? Paid money for it. Did you go back on? Yeah? Pleasure. What's the pleasure? Now, there are people who actually seek the real risks, like uh, racing car drivers or uh, they are mercenaries who look for war, not for the pay, yeah? but for the real, uh, the real sense. This is it. This is it, because it's pleasure. I, I hope that nobody will be enticed for that pleasure to risk their lives. You know? It's not necessary. Well, you, 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 you could be a heck of a lot more scared than a mercenary. Just, we'll teach you how. Now, what is that pleasure? Let's, let's examine. You paid for a roller coaster. You went down there and you went back. Yeah. What's the pleasure? Exhilaration. Exhilaration. People laugh when they get off. They're giddy. Yeah. It's exhilaration. What's exhilaration? With life. It's good to be alive. What do you mean? You don't know that you're alive? Yeah, but... Whoo, whoo, Thrilling, yeah? All of a sudden, wow, you, you see better. <laughs> For a moment, you are aware that life is very thrilling. Fear makes you appreciate that life is thrilling. Well then, is it painful? Sure it's painful. What's the pain? The natural disposition is asleep. Half asleep. Three quarters asleep. When you're fully alive, boy, it's pain. It's awareness. It's pulling yourself together. It's like waking up in the morning and not painful. 
If you have joy, if you you know how to do it, you don't pay attention to the pain, but it's painful. Like if you have joy and you keep your eye on the basketball, so you don't feel the pain of running around. But if you focus on the pain, running around on the basketball court is a heck of a painful deal. So we're aware of the fear. Wow, it's, it's pulling me together. It hurts. Yeah? It's, it's painful, but we don't appreciate that it is being alive. Number six is that locate the fear that we find disgusting. The opposite of, of pleasure is revulsion. And you know what that fear is? You see, when I was a kid, in the Lower East Side, we used to play a game. We called it the chicken. <laughs> you follow a leader. And each one, it would take you through it progressively. One guy, you'd jump over from one roof to the other. Oh, yeah, right? You'd climb down a parapet to the fire escape. From the roof, you climb down, and the first guy would do something daring, and whoever wanted to follow him, followed him. If you didn't want to follow him, then you say, chicken, okay, you know, <laughs> he's done it, nobody else did. And there were some guys who were very daring, and other people wouldn't do it, you know, that's it. And nobody felt bad, that's it, he's got it, yeah. Do you know the guy who never came out to play again? It always happened, once in a while, a fellow froze. He was on, on a ledge, yeah, going from one place to the other, and he froze, he was scared, he couldn't move. Couldn't come back, it couldn't go down. And we tried to talk him out of it. If we talked him out of it, not so bad. But if we couldn't talk him out of it, and we couldn't just leave him there. So we'd go down to his parents and we'd say, Moshe is calling you. <laughs> they say, Where is he? And he's up the roof. You look up on the roof, you know. <laughs> and then we'd run because his parents would come after us, right? And his parents would come down and they'd see poor little Moshe over there and they'd scrape him off the parapet, you understand? <laughs> That guy never came to play with us again. Because that is inadequacy. We are revolted by inadequacy. Now there are people who are afraid they will be inadequate in the face of fear. You see? And that makes you avoid it like the plague. Because that uncovers what you consider (coughs) fault. We want to be tough. We want to be able to make it. That's the type of fear that's no good. So, to show, to focus you on this, is be as you know. If you ever stood up to a bully, even if you got a good beating, <laughs> it's a fun memory. In retrospect, it's a fun memory. Uh, stood up to the guy. Yeah. If you ever back down from a bully, in retrospect, it's a very disgusting, revolting unpleasant feeling because we feel inadequate nah, take a little pain big deal look back I stood up I was a man did the right thing alright so number six is I mean if, if you just take that fear that's the, the thing that's the boogeyman get, get that away and realize that fear itself is a pleasurable thing number six is that we think that fear is restricting is it restricting and on the contrary fear is power you've heard of the little old lady whose grandson was under a, a truck and she picks up the truck to free her grandson. Never heard of that one? But you know that in a fire, a guy picks up a safe that Ted Mann came bring back in and he throws it out the window. You've heard of that? Adrenaline, when we are under the influence of fear, we can do superhuman feats. 
Yeah. B of this is, let me show you that you got it. Okay, let's say that I asked you to memorize the 613 commandments by uh, tomorrow night. 613 commandments. You say impossible, right? Yeah, we, we give a prize, $50,000. Huh? You got it? You know you can do it. You have power. Now, I can't suggest to you that if you don't know the 613 by tomorrow night, you're dead. But you know, if there was such a thing, boy, <laughs> you'd be cracking it and you'd do it. Of course, we supply you a list. Yeah, You'd have it memorized. No problem. So, fear is a power. It gets us to use our potential if we can focus it. Yeah? It gets us to move where we say, I can't, I'm bored, I can't concentrate, I can't move. It's too much work. It's a little fair reward or punishment. Yeah? And you turn into a very effective, driving, powerful young man. All right, uh, number seven is now we say that it's lack of freedom. We can't do what we want to do. We have to do what somebody else is telling us. Yeah. So, wh what's the difference between license and freedom? Do you, do you understand? License is to do whatever you feel like doing. Feel like doing. I want to murder. I want to beat someone up. I want to. I want to orgy. I want to. You know, whatever I feel like doing. It's okay. Yeah. That's license. Freedom is to do what you want to do. What makes sense to accomplish, to grow, to achieve. Now, B of this is, we all want greatness, but we feel we can't make it. Yeah? We all want to be tough. Anybody here wants to be tough? Disciplined? Organized? We all want to do what's right? Fear leaves you unencumbered. For the right amount of money, or for survival, you will be disciplined, organized, Make up your own mind. <laughs> Everything you want to do. So I just want to say C is that if you fear God, if you think that good will win, then he wants you to be disciplined, organized, love your fellow man. But I don't know. Well, you better love your fellow man this week or else. Oh, well, how do, how do you do it, Rabbi? Yeah? Ah. What freedom to grow, to accomplish. All right, one more, the eighth is that, look, we said that fear is a lack of dignity. It's demeaning. We perceive that to be afraid is demeaning. So A of this is that it's true. In the instructions for living, we say, he who serves out of fear, a man who serves out of fear, who serves God because God is powerful, he's afraid of hell, he wants to get to heaven, he is an Ovid Gehua, is an inferior worker. Ovid Me'ava, somebody who serves God because he loves God, Ze Ovid Nema, that is a true worker. Right? So it's true, what you feel is true. That he works because of reward, because of punishment. Something wrong. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. Don't do the right thing because you're going to go to heaven. Don't do the right thing because you're afraid of hell. Do it's right because it's right. But B, the rabbis say, be real. As long as you will do the right thing a heck of a lot more efficiently, if you were paid $100,000, yeah, well, then get paid. If you can, <laughs> you can wrangle it up. You see, we 
here in the Al Yeshiva. We can't compete, and we're all idealists. All idealists, the fellows who are here, the people who are working here, we can't compete with the Jews for Yashka. They get more guys than we do. Why? They want reaffirmation that they're good people. A guy just, one day he decides, yeah, Jesus saves. The next day he's out proselytizing, he's out as a missionary. We get a guy who decides, yeah, Torah is true, you know what he wants to do? Wants to sit and learn all day, yeah. He said, go ahead out, go and help another Jew, right? Go and help another Jew. He says, I'm not ready, I didn't learn yet. I don't know nothing yet. So how come they're ready right away? Because they got to reaffirm that they're correct. They have a suspicion. Am I saved? Well, if I get him to believe he's saved, then I guess I'm saved too. It's a, a reinforcement of that position. Which we're not above. You'll find guys who... I've been here for uh, a couple of months or three months, and they come across you. They say, come on, wash your hands. They want to save you right away. So that, but they want to learn. <laughs> All right, this is very intricate in human psychology, but you've got to appreciate that you've got to know where you're at. That's what the rabbis say. As long as you will march faster and more in step under the threat of a gun or for a good, solid reward, then remember look for the reward and the punishment makes you effective you see be real know where you are and point is to be successful but see if this is that look the Torah teaches us the instructions is and our intuition tells us there's something wrong if a person is doing it out of reward he should be doing it out of idealism but why does the Almighty tell us to be afraid of heaven and hell and look for the rewards and our instructions is that it's very much like the pain syndrome you know what the pain syndrome is? You stick a pin and go, ouch, right? Now, what do you say? If I can give you a pill and you will never feel pain again, yeah? only cost 10 bucks. Would you take the pill? You'll never feel pain again, no more. Do you know what happens? There are people born without the pain syndrome. Yeah? You know what happens to them? They get broken legs, burnt hands. They have all kinds, of, they lose limbs. You, you understand, for us, the pain syndrome, you put your hand on a hot stove, you go, ah! What was it? But if you didn't have a pain syndrome, you'd have your hand in the fire, and you'd say, do you sell s- s- some smoke? <laughs> and by the time you got to your hands, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't have much of a hand left. We don't appreciate it, but the pain syndrome keeps us from bunking into tables from falling down floors, we're naturally cautious. People who don't have the pain syndrome are constantly breaking their legs on obstacles. They, they have to remember, watch where you're going. While with us, we have a watch where you're going. You see? So, when we don't have fear, we hurt people without even noticing it. Yeah? But if every time you hurt someone, somebody would be there giving you a smack on the head with a baseball bat, yeah? then you'd be very cautious as to who you're hurting when you're being inconsiderate. So we look at fear like a pain syndrome. It gets you to where you want to be. (laughs) You know, you get rewarded, you get punished. It's in it. Saves you a lot of time, keeps your memory functioning, and you're, you're with it. All right, now I hope I've convinced you that Fear is a very good thing, so how do we go about 
doing it. And we'll start a new list. So number one is, you've got to always remember you want it. You want it, it's good, it's thrilling to be afraid. A roller coaster, if only you can do it. Gather your powers. Use your potential. Do what you want to do, if only you could have it. Remember to be motivated, because that's the first thing. If you're motivated to get fear, you will get it. You will be wide awake, alert, to be thrilled with life, to avoid sleeping. Is that right? Okay. So number two is, now, how do we do it? You've got to see reality. Reality happens to be very thrilling. <laughs> you need to go to a roller coaster, horror movie. <laughs> Just uh, pay attention to the headlines. Right? Just walk with the fact that you've got an atom bomb. Reality is very thrilling. See, in my days, I had to be afraid. You would talk about going on a safari. When I was a kid in the Lower East Side, you'd talk about, hmm, wouldn't it be great to hunt the tiger in India or the lion in Africa? You know, a safari in the middle of the night in the jungle. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, today, all you got to do is take a subway token at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> No problem. This happens to be a very threatening world. What is keeping us from it is the ostrich syndrome, the dream syndrome. The ostrich, we put our head in the sand, right? So number three is, let's take a look at the reality that we have the ostrich syndrome. You know that you're going to die one day? Yeah. We really think, and the rabbis pointed out, Torah points it out, we really think that the people out there who are dying belong to a certain section of humanity that we have nothing to do with. They're the mortal ones. We are the immortal. Underneath it all, we have the solution. That's not us. I'm charmed. I, you know, not me. It's more pronounced when you're in combat. You know, people feel that I have a charm. They actually feel that they have a charm. They're going to survive. But all of us have this feeling other guys get mugged. Other guys die, not us. So, to focus you in on this, we say B, to illustrate it is, anybody here ever have a friend who, who died? You? How old was the guy? 17. 17. How did he die? Killed on a motorbike. Motorbike. It's not the same. Anybody got a friend who died from natural causes? There's a big difference. A motorbike... It's still, if you say, I just talked to him yesterday. Do you remember that, Jerry? I just saw him yesterday. He's dead. Can't be. It was full of life. It was walking down the street. I spoke to him an hour ago. As if, how long does it take to die? Yeah? As if it can't be. What do you mean it can't be? All the guys who are dying were alive an hour before, right? What does that mean? Do you understand what it means? I just spoke to him yesterday. I just saw him yesterday an hour ago. It can't be. What, what is that? That's too close to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not from these dyers. Not, a guy that I spoke to is dead. It's too close for comfort. But you see, an accident makes it a little unreal because it's like a violation. Yeah? But a guy who's perfectly all right, he's playing ball with me, etc. And gone, he's dead? Wow. I'm more. So see if this is realized. Look, friends, we can all be dead in one minute. Any one of us. You don't have to have a heart condition, nothing. Just a, 
cerebral like this, <laughs> you know, a blood clot. Dong. <laughs> don't have to have no conditions like that. Any one of us. Don't have to have planes crashing through the ceiling. Got to realize that's the facts of life. And we don't feel like looking at that. That's the reality, and we don't feel like looking at it. We have the ostrich syndrome. We are immortal. Other people die. Not us. Not us, and not those that we are associated with. I just want to tell it's, it's a little bit funny. I once went to see a man about, about money, and uh, I had made the appointment about it two weeks before, and I went in to see him, and the guy was... He was, must, be, must have been 75. He was an old man, really old man. I walked in, and he was dreadfully sorry. He said, I can't really speak to you. I had an appointment. I, I'm talking about I can't. I'm in shock. I mean, he's in shock. I said, what happened? What's the matter? He said, this past Sunday, he had gone on a picnic with his father, family gathering, with his father. He's 75. I can't imagine how old his father was, yeah? <laughs> He's gone on a picnic with his father, and his father was hale and hearty, and everything was going fine, and he just dropped dead. His father just died on the spot, and he's in shock. This man is in shock. I mean, he was hale and hearty. Yeah, not my father. No, 95 years old, not my father. Once they're in the hospital, they're sick, then sort of we break our ties to them. You know, that's not us, but we're living with them. We're talking to them in the middle of talking. So number four is be real. And that is ask yourself, how many years do you have to live? Count them. And then what? You're all mortal. We're going to die. You got 50 years, 100 years. How many of you figure you got? So live with that appreciation and plan your life. Don't think that it's open-ended. Get out of the ostrich syndrome. You're going to die. You're mortal. You're going to die. Now... What are you going to do with your life? Do you see that it, it works? It pushes you a little bit. Yeah? So number five is the rabbis say that you should take it a step further. Live as if you're going to die tomorrow. Shuv Yomechel, the name is live every day as if it's your last day. And if you haven't come across the story, this is what makes sense of it. That don't think that we, we have this um, morbid uh, streak. But there are Jews in Haifa and Jerusalem. There are Jews in Israel. And there used to be a lot of Jews who had their burial spot paid and bought for. Yeah? And they would go to visit it before Rosh Hashanah. This is where they're going to lie, to make it real. It's not morbidity. There are Jews who have their burial clothes hanging in the closet. You know, there's special clothes we, we use. You know, that bury a man in a suit. It's plain linen shrouds. Yeah? Now, why? Why was that? It's not morbidity. It wasn't that they're planning to die. It's for reality. Yeah? So B of this is, if you want to use this power, ask yourself, if a doctor told me i got three months to live, how would you spend it? Sure. Yeah, well, start with five years. Alan, think, if you had five years to live, what would you want to do? You see... I would try to live my life the best as I could. Right, meaning what? You'd want to make a decision whether God spoke on Sinai today. Yeah? Hmm. Yeah, I think you want to get the evidence. You want to know whether you got a soul or you don't have a soul, right? You have five years to live. I mean, you see, if we, if we boil it down to one day, you say, I'll get drunk. Yeah? 
You understand? It's too much, right? But five years focuses in what we want to accomplish and how do you want to accomplish it. Then, if you got a little sense of this, of the reality, so okay, so what if you had one year to live? What would you want to accomplish? How would you telescope it? Yeah? Then get down to three months and to one day. What's the essence? Yeah? This gives you a feeling of what you want, where you want to go. Someday you're going to have one day to live. You won't know it. Someday you're going to have three months to live. Someday you're going to only have five years to live. It might be today. <laughs> Someday it's going to be there. So try to get that into your framework. How would you live? Then you'll appreciate what the rabbis say. Live as if tomorrow you're going to die. Do it right. Live the right way from the beginning. Don't wake up and say, hey, what did I do with my life? Where am I? Imagine when you're 70 years old and the doctor says you got one month. You say, where, why, where, where was I? And until the doctor says that, you're close. It's another year, another year, another year. Number six is that use this to appreciate and correct the way you're living. If, God forbid, you're, uh, you're struggling with your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, yeah. If you had one day to live, what would you say to them? They had three months to live. What would you say? And the same thing goes the other way around. If they were going to die, would you say this? If they had one day to live. This is what you want to remember with? Makes you appreciate reality. We don't appreciate who we have, who we possess, until, God forbid, we lose them with death. Yeah? Then we say, oh, I should have treated them better. I should have, I'm, ah, we have guilt, we have this, we have that. Yeah? Be real. Makes it correct. You will not fight with your parents. You will not split up with a friend. You will not. You will not despise your brother. <laughs> you can't do that. You, even a stranger, you'll treat him a little differently. If you knew he was going to die, or you're going to die. Life is precious. Feelings are precious. Number seven is that use the same thing for humanity or for the Jewish people. If the Jewish people is really wiped out by the Arabs. And the defenses are down. You know, Yom Kippur War, they came close. Yeah? What if they're wiped out and you're back in America? Now, how do you feel? 67, it was a worldwide recognition that the Jewish state was in high jeopardy. Yeah? And guys came out of the woodwork with the names of Sullivan and, uh, and Donovan. Yeah? And they came to the uh, Jewish Welfare Fund, so to the Israeli Council, they want to help. I asked him, uh, Jewish? Yeah, I'm Jewish. Never mind that. I want to help. How'd you get the name of O'Sullivan? They took the name O'Sullivan because they didn't want to identify Jewish. So wh why are they coming out of woodwork? Because all of a sudden they said, but I care about the Jewish people. Because there was a threat that they would be wiped out. How would you feel if, God forbid, the state of Israel is wiped out? Be real. Carry that around with you now. Don't be an astronaut. Number eight is that the same thing goes, live with what you have. If you lost an arm and a leg, you see, we, that's a partial death. Be real. Death is an instrument to make us real. You've got one day to go to use your eyes. Yeah? Now, you use your eyes, you use it. One day to go to walk on your feet. Then you take them off. Yeah? You know, you use it, you feel it, you appreciate it. Same thing goes. All right, number nine is, you see a divorce, you see parents nagging their children, you see old men, 
You see people in the depression, people being carted off to loony bins, people hurting each other. As we go through life, we see this all the time, right? So what do we do? We go to the ostrich syndrome, right? We see, but we don't see. We say, not me. I'll never nag my children. Anybody here think he'll nag his children? And that's just for 99% of you will. Do you understand that? Because when your kid says, I don't care, you're going to go through the same syndrome. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you don't care? I've been my whole life for you. Same thing. Oh, not me. I won't. It won't do me nothing. I don't care if my kid says, I don't care what you think. Malarkey. We're not seeing. We think that they're the, the band of morals. Yeah. You too are going to go through this. You too are going to struggle with babies and try to get them to take the cereal. <laughs> Same thing. And try to get them to go through college. and try. <laughs> Same thing. Think you're going to be different? No. Not true. Be afraid of this. Don't think you too someday will be an old man crawling along. If you make it, and you hope to make it. Hmm? Do you hope to make it? Well, you say it's not worthwhile. Why don't you ask the guy? <laughs> would you rather be out of this or with it? You go and ask an old man. He's ready to die. Now, I've, I've asked old men, you know, there's this, a, a Yiddish saying, which is, I, I think it's awful, but they said, what are you living for? You know, how do you feel? Even a fly wants to live. But really, the expression is, my friend, life, when you have it, you don't give it up. You think that you're going to be different? You're going to gas yourself? <laughs> you're going to have it when you have it. You want it because it's good. So you should know what's good about it. Know how. Be prepared for your old age. But the idea is be real. You're walking through a world, you see a guy in a depression. Not me. I'll never be depressed. Come on. A guy with a nervous breakdown. Not me. <laughs> what do you mean not you? Well, not me. Not me. I won't get divorced. I'll never get sick. I'll never be in an accident. <laughs> not me. No, all those accidents, you see an accident. Not me. Do you understand? You gotta be real. Don't put your head in the sand. You're you're one of them. So B of this is is whenever you see this, learn how do you avoid it. Just like if you see somebody getting mugged, you know, you say, This street I don't go down no more. <laughs> right? Or you figure, well, maybe I'll get myself a gun. Stop using the subways. Whatever it is. I mean you learn you draw a lesson. A guy who's been in an accident and a couple of his friends were wiped out uses the safety belt. <laughs> if he sees that they got killed without it, you'll see him always strapping himself in. If you ever see somebody strapping himself in, the first one, ask him, did we have an accident? <laughs> you learn the lesson. So the idea is when you see a divorce of friends or a stranger, when you see something going on, draw your lesson. Be real. That's being afraid. Number 10 is be real, don't play the ostrich syndrome at all times. So, part of that is, we want meaning. Every one of us has been hit. We've been hit by this fear of meaninglessness. I'm asking you to try to remember a time when all of a sudden you ask yourself, so what? What does it add up to? So what? We all have that feeling. And what do we do? We run for an ostrich hole. Stop playing tennis. Put on the music. Call up a friend. That's an ostrich hole. Yeah? Right? Don't run for the ostrich hole. 
Ask yourself, what does that mean? Feel that delicious fear of there is no meaning. Better find out whether there is a meaning. What could be meaningful? Where do we find meaning? The of this is that there are many things like this. We all want to be great. You ask somebody, you want to be great or would you be satisfied being average? <laughs> How about greatness or mediocrity? Great. Right. You understand? We that's the ostrich syndrome. I don't mind being average. Average friend, look at it real. Mediocre. No. No. I don't want mediocrity. Do you see how we take that illusion? So I'm average. I'm not great. Mediocre. We want greatness. Realize you want greatness. Get moving for it. Be afraid of being mediocre. Of not making it. Be afraid of not having self-respect, of waking up one morning and saying to yourself, I'm not really doing what I should be doing. Be afraid of that. And reach for greatness, for good, for the straight thing. And one more, and that is number uh, 10, is use fear for living. What does that mean, use fear for living? Well, wipe out pettiness, petty irritations, illusions, stupidities, fighting, nagging. Wipe it out. And how do you wipe it out? Make a list of all your I can'ts. Right? And just put a price tag on them. I can't concentrate. For how much? $100,000? Money? Wipe it all out. Yeah? Money will wipe it all out or um, reality. Death. That's your kid. But money is the easier way. Make a list of all the I cans. I can't talk to my parents in an appreciative way. Can't do assignments. Can't concentrate. I can't think. I can't figure out what I want. I can't. Yeah. Just put a price tag. $400,000 you can. Sweet. You have been listening to Voices from Jerusalem. For a complete listing of our cassettes, see our web store at aish.com. For a free cassette catalog, email us at voices at aish.com or call toll-free in the U.S. 1-800-VOICES-3. Our main office is at 1 Western Wall Plaza, Jerusalem, Israel. Shalom from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.